This is Mimi South. Welcome to the Enlightened Campfire. When you see yourself in relation to the world around you, what do you see? Your instincts would have you believe that you are separate from that world and everything in it. But is that the case? In the E-word, ego, enlightenment, and other essentials, Kate Montana reveals how the egoic self undermines the very growth people hope to find when they begin a journey towards self-knowledge. The E-word will be released in January of 2017 and can be pre-ordered through Amazon.com. Kate, thank you for joining us today. Mimi, it's a pleasure. Your new work, The E-Word, Ego, Enlightenment, and Other Essentials, of coming out around the new year. What was the impetus for you to take on writing this new work? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, actually, I didn't have uh, any choice in the matter. I'd been putting off writing about the ego and the whole topic of spiritual enlightenment for many years. Um, and finally, it chased me down and refused to let me go. And I actually literally woke up on winter solstice, December 2014, with the book, the idea of it, the need for it, um, wrestling me to the ground, literally. And I just was like, oh, my God, okay. And I started writing. And it didn't let me go until I finished the book, Get This, on solstice, um, summer um, solstice in 2015. And, wow. uh, yeah, and, you know, you always know when things are, are radically in the flow. I um, I had a brand new agent, literary agent, Lisa Hagen, and I sent her a, a couple of initial chapters a month after I started writing, and um, which is usually a no-no because when you start any book project, it's usually terrible <laughs> in its first draft. <laughs> but um, so I sent it to her, and she just flipped out and said, "God, can you, you know, I've I, I've just talked to um, and the enlivened book um, publisher Zena Musica, who Simon and Schuster has just started this brand new imprint." And this would be perfect for her. Can you get me a, a book uh, proposal in the, in a couple of weeks? And I was just like, uh, yeah, I suppose <laughs> so. And she emailed her the book proposal, and um, Zena called her back two hours later and bought the book. So perfect. it's like, what? yeah, wow. I mean, th that's the kind of publishing story that every author dreams of. And uh, the fact that it happened to me was amazing. But more than anything, Mimi, it was a talisman that um, that this book was having its way not only with me, but with other people. And, um, right. and that it was time for the message to come out. And uh, so that was the impetus. Absolutely no choice in the matter. <laughs> Oh, and, were it always know, that easy? Oh, or that difficult? I mean, the, everything is a well. You know, we live in a in a world of dynamic dual duality, 
and everything is is a dance of duality and um yes it was it, it was easy you know writing 16 hours a day when you're possessed is is easy in one way of looking at it and um and then it's not in another respect you're still possessed <laughs> So um, what had happened was, is I, I've been a, a meditator for oh golly, 30 years. I, I tripped my way onto the spiritual path um, when I was 30, about 30, 31, and I had awakened to the realization that having done everything the way the world and my parents and my teachers and and the priest at, at the Episcopal Church I was raised in and society told me that I should live life and do things, you know, I, I followed the formula. I was a good little girl. I went to school. I got really good grades. I you know, got a college degree. I developed a career in network television. Um, I got married to a really nice um, man from my socioeconomic bracket. You know, I did the whole <laughs> formula, maybe. And I woke up with, you know, a swimming pool in the backyard and two foreign cars in the, in the garage and, um, and a great career in network sports television as an editor. And I was absolutely burned out, exhausted, and unhappy and totally unfulfilled. And I looked at that at that point in my life and went, well, shit, <laughs> now what? I've done it all right. And it didn't deliver. So there must be something more. And so that's what, you know, and that is not an unusual story. Um, no, I, you know, not probably, at all, particularly these days. Yeah. And spirituality is now becoming um, a very material-oriented um, acquisitions practice, you know, um, with personal manifestation and all the things that we're supposed to do and be and and what we're supposed to accomplish. And, and enlightenment was one of those things that I was taught, or at least I somehow came to believe um, that enlightenment was what I was looking for. And that it was, and then enlightenment was something that I could achieve. And um, so being a, a, a 20th century, um, fairly driven woman uh, and career-oriented being, I, um, I attacked spirituality with the same um, orientation as, as I'd lived life and, and developed a career and done well in school and pursued relationships. It was just like, I'm on it. <laughs> And uh, and it was a great surprise. Surprise? No, it wasn't even a surprise. It was it was, it was the most shocking thing that ever happened. When after about twenty years, assiduously pursuing spiritual enlightenment, which, of course, I didn't exactly know what that was. I just knew that it was what I was supposed to want. You know, which meant I was awake and aligned with the universe and that, you know, I kind of imagined that I w it would be, you know, an omniscient place where I'd be um, all-knowing, all-seeing, totally happy, blissed out, um, uh, you name it. And um, after 20 years of meditation, um, I, I gradually woke up to the realization that enlightenment was the absence of me and my own sense of self. <laughs> it was the enlightenment was actually the state of no Cape Montana whatsoever. And um, 
and I was like, well, good God, what do I do with that? What? Because yeah, here, here, here was twenty years of spiritual book reading and seminars and classes to become enlightened and and ideas about what enlightenment was as a as a pursuit and an accomplishment and an attainment. I mean, we even call it to attain. And to be introduced in my own meditation, I started going into what's only called non-dual reality, which meant I left I, I left myself, my sense of separate self, at the door. It fell away in my deepest meditations. And so um, I didn't know, as you can imagine, Mimi, I didn't know what the devil to do with this. It was like uh, I would spend, and and I have to say I was very aggressive in my um, in my approach to spirituality and meditation. I would meditate for days on end. I aligned my entire life around the pursuit of enlightenment. I left television. I left my husband. I went and lived in a one room cabin with no indoor plumbing in the middle of the North Georgia mountains for three years. Um, I did the. I, I did the same thing again for another three years with a cabin in the Cascade Range of uh, Washington State. I I went within. I developed a career as a as a freelance uh, reporter, journalist, so that I could write from home, so that nothing disturbed my inner pursuit. So um, after I you know I've estimated I've kind of thought about it and I I figure that at the low end after about 20,000 hours of meditation <laughs> this is when <laughs> which is not to discourage anybody because you know who was it Paul or Saul of Tarsus fell off his his bloody horse and became enlightened apparently by hitting his head on a rock so <laughs> so I'm not saying that anybody else has to do 20,000 hours of of meditation to wake up um, but that's what it took me to really start to get a, a view on, on what enlightenment really was and um, not the story that, that I'd been given about it was. And then and certainly, what the devil We do it. not have a, a culture that supports not doing. The culture is all about the doing and never Absolutely. not doing. Absolutely. It's all about doing and having and thinking and attaining and manifesting and and that is the absolute natural result of living in a body and which is it's that's just just the perfect comment maybe because um i spent year i have to tell you i spent literally years puzzling out what to do about this me not me situation and how to how to relate and live in the world. And it, it got to the point where I, literally I started having the, the ego sense of self even started falling away during my walking, talking, chewing gum, working in the yard, whatever, um, it, which still happens to this day. Ever, you know, all of a sudden I'll just snap into a non-dual state of awareness and I'm like, oh my God, I'm not me. And it's absolutely <laughs> everything everybody has ever said about enlightenment. It is total freedom. <laughs> It is total freedom not being Kate Montana and not having Kate Montana's worries and her concerns and her money issues and her relationship issues and her body issues and, oh, my God, it's intoxicating. <laughs> and then, and then, and then Kate Montana, the literally, the, the neuron patterns in my brain 
would start to fire up again the pattern called Cape Montana. So I found myself, and actually this ties back into your very initial question about what was the impetus for writing this book. Not only did I have no choice, but I realized that I had been somehow uh, maneuvered by life, God, the universe, the is, whatever we want to call it. Um, I've been somehow maneuvered into a really interesting and unusual perspective on um, the structure of the self, the personal identity that we label the ego. Um, I had gone back to school in the in the early years of my spiritual investigation. I wanted to know about the mind. I wanted to know about what what humanity knew about consciousness. So I um, I went back to school when I was 35 and uh, got my master's degree in humanistic psychology. I studied the mind. And um, and I realized that we really didn't know very much. Um, and I was taught about a, uh, a, co- a kind of a uh, progressive of conscious, a cognitive development that went from the personal um, egoic state of high, me, 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 my, 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 um, you know, all about me, hi, look at me. You know, all I had to do is take a look at a, a at an eight-year-old running around at a swimming pool saying, mommy, mommy, watch me to know what the ego is all about. And um, and so I was taught in school that there was such a thing as a transpersonal mindset, okay? And what that is is that there is a um, a development in in the ego, an expansiveness, an expansion, not an inflation. You know, we talk about the ego being inflated, okay? Um, you know, mommy, mommy, look at me, and oh, I'm great, and and, and all of that. There is a transpersonal place we can develop that it starts to recognize a the essential connection between people um, and the oneness of all life that every um, great spiritual teacher, Jesus, Buddha, Lao Tzu, has has referred to across eons of time and which quantum physics is now absolutely um, showing us is the real subterranean view of reality is that we really are all one, uh, interconnected waves of energy, information, and there really are no um, crystalline boundaries between you and me and me and the computer or us and the and the audience or anything. It's all, you know, fluid, energetic motion and information. So I learned about all that in school. And then I probably forgot it. Um <laughs> You know, if you if you don't use the information and if it doesn't have um, a ready application to hand, it's kind of like, well, do you remember the stuff you you know learned in eighth grade or high school or college? It's just like I don't remember most details because it doesn't have a, an application in my life. So anyway, um, time marched on. I ended up in these um, all <laughs> I was going to say altered states. Um, I ended up in these non-dual states of awareness where I realized that Cape Montana is the altered state. And again, I didn't know what to do with it. And so finally, in the midst of actually starting to write this book, um, starting in, in 2014, all of the old information from college about this whole transpersonal realm that um, of identity that we can... Uh, cultivate and move into individually 
and as and as a, a species. Um, all that information came back to me, and I was like, oh, oh my God, that's what I've been experiencing. I've been flipping into a transpersonal mindset that actually understands the connection and sees the connection between me and everything else, and there is, which gives me the absolute reality that there is no other, is no anything else. There's only one thing, and it's all I am. And uh, so that is a very long-winded backstory, um, but there's, it's the only way to, to do it is to, a long-winded backstory about how I actually ended up writing um, the book, The E-Word, Ego, Enlightenment, and Other Essentials, is because I finally recognized that there is a transition place, Mimi, between this whole personal ego that you know wants a, a great life and a nice house and, and a, a new car and a, and a new iPhone and, and wants spiritual enlightenment um, as kind of the icing on the cake, perhaps, um, because we're trying to fill up this huge gap in ourselves. Um, you know, we started off this whole conversation talking about how, you know, life doesn't really seem to deliver as much as it seems to promise. And we wonder, and we're right. left at 30 or, or 50 or midlife crisis or on our deathbed, heaven forfend, um, going, oh, my God, what was that all about? I don't even know. And I tried to fill up my life with all the stuff that I was told was important, you know, things and houses and relationships and people. And, and those are all wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that. We live in a material world. Um, but there's so much more. There's so much more to life and there's so much more to us. And we're never taught that, you know. Um, we remain, even even moving into the spiritual arena, I... I was taught that I needed to attain enlightenment and that I could do that. And then, you know, are you familiar, of course, with um, personal manifestation, the, the law of attraction? Yeah. Mm -hmm. More getting more things. Yeah. Well, getting more things, but it's also, um, I, I actually spent a lot of time, I, I worked with the um, filmmakers of the movie, What the Bleep Do We Know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and was actually one of the first people to start promoting the law of attraction as a um, as an actual dynamic of applying the mind focused um, mind to matter at the quantum level and thus affecting reality and um, and it, it, it caught on like wildfire because well you know, here we all are working our way and paying our mortgages and struggling to pay off our credit cards and, and keeping up and, and doing all the things we think we're supposed to do and have and be, and we're exhausted and doing it the mass-to-mass -mass way. So somebody comes along and says, hey, you know, apply your mind to this, make a storyboard, um, make a list, focus on it, um, and expect the universe to supply. And it's just like, wow, a shortcut. Yes, thank you. <laughs> you know who who wouldn't go for that and um and i went for it yeah of course because you know we are starting to understand we're being given as a culture um we're being given the information of the ages we are being giving these amazing truths 
um, uh, like the law of attraction. It absolutely is true. As I think, as you think, so your life becomes. Um, but then, as you stated, each individual is going to have this transition period that they have to go through to move eventually. forward. Getting a clearer eventually. picture. Eventually, yeah. Because, And that's one of the things that really um, shocked me when I started writing the book is that I realized that so much of spiritual uh, lessons and spiritual... Uh, ideas about what we're supposed to be doing was focused on the wrong person manifesting. I realized that I had no idea what was supposed to be doing the manifesting. The only I I had ever known was Kate Montana. Kate Montana, woman, writer, human being, um, Kate Montana, journalist, Kate Montana, spiritual seeker, um, you know, Kate Montana who spends X number of hours meditating was all about Kate Montana and Kate Montana manifesting. What I totally didn't realize, and what I've come to understand that almost nobody grasps in the whole spiritual arena, is that the I that we think is supposed to grow up and be powerful and do all this manifesting, the ego, is not it. The ego is a... It, it, it's, it's a... The ego is actually... It's actually an imaginary construct. It doesn't really, it's not even real. Kate Montana, bottom line, is genuinely a figment of my imagination. She's a story in my mind. Completely manufactured. Completely constructed and manufactured by the fact that I and you and everybody else lives in a physical body. And how we perceive from infancy onward, I mean, we're the womb onward, is that our little baby brains, once we come out into the world, receive over 11 million bits of sensory data every second. And it's, you know, and it's the overwhelming rush of physical stimulus from moment one, Mimi, 24-7 from moment one, birth to death, conception to death, we uh, live, we are bathed, we swim in an onslaught of sensory physical data that tells us one thing from the get-go. I am not you. I am separate from you. I am isolated and an individual. My body senses tell us, tell me that, tell everybody that. Fundamentally, you know, very early on, a baby learns that the breast or the bottle is not itself. The teddy bear isn't me. The crib bars aren't me. The the blanket at my little, you know, on my mattress isn't me. All of the sensory data, the very first thing I learned and you learned and everybody learned unconsciously as an infant is that there's me and there's other so we're born into duality, we're born into separation from the get-go. And so everything we learn from the moment we learn our name and, and, and you know, the baby, I finally, oh, Mimi gets, oh, Mimi, Mommy, you know, looks at, you know, hugs and, and Daddy rocks and the friends come over and go, oh, Mimi or Kate or Sally or Joe, you know, and all of a sudden the brain clicks and all of the sensory data that's coming into us at 11 million bits per second, nonstop, 
gets hung on to an identifier. Oh, wait a minute. Ah, the the brain clicks and goes, ah, okay, that's what that's what self is. Okay, it's Mimi or it's Kate or whatever. And then it's like a coat hanger. All the sensory data gets hung on to that thought, the concept of a separate self. There is no such thing in reality as a separate self, and quantum physics proves it's true. All of the spiritual teachers, you know, Jesus, my father and I are one. Um, you know, Buddha, I am awake. From an ego perspective, we can only imagine that, well, if Jesus is saying, you know, my father and I are one, there must be a separate I to be merged with the father. And when we listen to Buddha say, I am awake, there must be an I that can become awake. And it's an inevitable interpretation because of the way we're born and the way information forms our sense of self as a separate identity. Mimi, Kate, Sally, Anne, Harry, Frank. And we spend our entire lives walking and talking and chewing gum and pursuing spiritual pursuits and money pursuits or whatever, never once realizing that that, that ego structure is simply a filter of perception you know, you've, you've heard about the spiritual veil that's drawn over the truth? Mm-hmm. That's the veil. It's the perception of otherness that is actually a, it's a lie. The truth is we are all connected at the quantum level. There are no boundaries. There is no separation. There is no separate me and you. Which, you know, so that that's, that's one of the things that, that, perplexed me um, before I wrote this book and during the writing of the book is, well, okay, this is all well and good, this information, but um, what good is it? <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. how can it be applied practically? And, you know, Mimi, I really, really, the more I go down this path and I look at how the ego is structured and based on a, a perception a lie of perception that is inevitable. There's nothing wrong with it. The ego, mm -hmm. a sense of self, is inevitable. We all have it, and it enables us to function in a physical, the physical appearance of a physical reality. Without it, we're we're sunk. We we don't operate well. Um, um, for autism spectrum disorders. Um, uh, it's actually my my belief that is um that eleven million bits of information that everybody's brain receives twenty four seven right mm -hmm. we the brain actually by age i think it's ten has installed a sensory gating system that mm -hmm. filters and and narrows that onslaught of information down to are you ready for this fifty bits of information per second, which is what a human being can consciously process moment to moment. Mm -hmm. So we go from 11 million bits of information is arriving into your brain right now, but your brain has learned to filter it all down to 50 bits of information so that you can walk and talk and chew gum and dial the phone and talk to me and, and do everything that you do in your life. Without that filtration, without that sensory gating system that the brain automatically installs over the first decade of our lives, 
we don't do well. We don't function well. Um, and it's my belief that a lot of the autistic um, spectrum disorders are the sensory gating system isn't operating at its full capacity. And there's all this continuous onslaught of information and there's a lack of separation between me and the world and therefore mm -hmm. we don't show up very effectively as human beings who live a prescribed existence and do very well functioning as separate, isolated, standalone units. Um, but it also means that we're constantly at each other's throats. It means yeah. that we live in isolation and separation. It's just, I, I mean, God, Mimi, it, it's been so fascinating because I, I truly went from, well, all this is well, well and good, but what the heck practical use is it, to realizing that, oh, my God, if I really look at the world and all of our problems from pollution to corporate um, uh, um, corruption to all of the misuse and the, dis and, and the destruction of resources and the raping and the pillaging and the, you know, I'm better than you and one religion over another and one people over another, on and on and on. It's all based in the ego's misperception of separation from one another. We're at each other's throats and we do all this crap because we don't know any better, because we're lost thinking that we're Kate and Mimi and Sally and Joe. And we but have no idea we, that we're only doing it to ourselves. Absolutely. What I do to the, you know, what we do to the to the web of life, we do to ourselves. Because the web of life is ourselves at the at the most profound level. It's all the truth. And so um I, I I that's why I wanted to write the book. It's like I finally went, Wow, what would it be like if we could actually get a handle on how the ego actually develops and what the ego really is and the misperception it gives us of isolation and separation and start educating ourselves very and you know and introducing this information into schools that would wake us up to the profound truth of our connection and our interconnection and our oneness and start operating from an educated level about what this sense of identity is for. It's a tool, like a shovel is a tool, that helps us operate in the world. But when the shovel is running the show, you know, that's where the problem in lies. So that's why I got all excited, and I think that's why my agent and my publisher got all excited, is that they went, oh, my God, you know, this kind of information really needs to get out there. So here we are talking. <laughs> well, I look forward uh, very much to reading it when it's released. But for now, I'm going to ask you our flagship question, which is okay. this. If we were sitting around our enlightened campfire out in the woods somewhere, and you had just that evening to teach me one thing, the one thing you would like people to remember long after you've transitioned out of this life that is currently Kate Montana. What is the one thing you would like to teach me? Here's the interesting thing, and I suppose this would be the crux of the matter. We have been, as a, a humanity has been, uh, given the truth over and over again that we are all connected, that we are essentially all one being, that there is a veil 
that obscures truth with a capital T from our grasp, um, this is not new information. Um, but what I would like to get across at that campfire is that we now have the ability, we have the intelligence, we have the educational level, we have the tools of perception, we have psychology, we have quantum physics, we have the internet, we have the information to take the perennial wisdom of the ages and demystify it. You know, Jesus and Buddha, they didn't have quantum physics and universities and the internet and the ability to talk about cognitive development uh, or altered states of consciousness or duality. Those were all concepts that didn't even exist in their day. So they were limited to stories and parables. They spoke to young people in young children in young in consciousness. And what I'd like to get across now at the campfire is that we have run out of excuses. <laughs> um, we have, <laughs> we've got everything we need right now at our fingertips to wake ourselves up out of the self-destructive delusional cycle of ego self-importance and get a handle on who and what we really are for the very, very first time in human history and do something constructive with that knowledge rather than self-destructing over and over again from our superstition and our lack of ground-level understanding of how perception in a body works, how we perceive ourselves as separate and isolated, what the truth, what the interconnected truth, the quantum level truth of our reality is, and then start deliberately, consciously adopting that information and changing our mindset into a more transpersonal mindset a, that is in alignment with the truth of what's really going on on this appearance called reality. That's what I would say. Well, it's a very powerful message. I've got a few, I've got a couple of methodologies that I would actually um, share at that campfire if, if I should share one. Sure. Please do. Okay. Okay. Um, I'd sit at that campfire and whoever was there, I'd, I'd look in your eyes and say, Here's a, here's a great way to start getting a handle on expanding that sense of isolated self, of you sitting over there on the other side of the fire looking at me over here on this side of the fire. And imagine, imagine that all of this is a dance of energy. And just look at the night sky and look at the imagined space between us and see it as a dance of energy, waves of information that are forming and showing up as the appearance of campfire and blue-orange-yellow flame and sparks and wood and warmth and heat and the distance between us and the distance between you and the person sitting next to you around this campfire. And imagine it all as a dance of energy, one thing. And, in, and just weave yourself back and forth between that state of going, wow, I am 
Kate or Sally or Mimi or Joe sitting over here and Kate's over there and Mimi's over there. And go back into that mindset of separation and then dissolve it. Relax your eyes. Relax your vision. Don't focus on any one thing. Have a kind of a diffused element to your looking that is actually what um, uh, Aikido practitioners and a lot of martial arts practitioners call soft eyes. Go into soft eyes. Don't stare at anything. Just let your vision soften and let information and the world and the fire and the night sky come into you and see it as one interconnected dance. That's, that's one way of starting to connect with the truth of who we really are. Um, you know, and another way is very simply is when you're meeting other people um, and you have a breath and, a, and, and the, the, the chance just to take a breath and step back a bit. I call it the high knee exercise. When I, when I inter get introduced to somebody, I, in the back of my mind, I shake, you know, as I shake hands or I'm walking into the boardroom or into the radio station or whatever, and I just whisper in my own mind, it's like, hi, me. Here I am in another body, in another form, showing up as this apparently other person, but hi, me, you're really me and I know it. And and that that's another exercise that I do all the time, just to remind me of just to remind me of the truth of what's really going on. <laughs> well, and that would help so much with people who feel these sudden waves of social anxiety in such a situation as having to reach out their hand and, and introduce themselves to someone to know that that really is just you. Absolutely. There's there's just so many different ways of healing. Um, once this information can be practically um, given to people, there's just so much healing that, that will take place, Mimi, once we get an accurate handle on what the hell the ego is and what it, the information it gives us and then how to shift that information into a more um, progressive, um, harmonious uh place instead of you know the whole fear and competition because fear and competition it comes from our sense of isolation <laughs> you know the, from the sense of oh my god i don't you know who am i and why am i here and what the hell is going on and what's and why and what and when we start dropping these veils of information that that the body gives us this wonderful delightful fabulous body gives us the information that allows us to to play on this planet that's great but but to start getting a handle on on the truth of how it really is operating and the deeper truth of what's going on so yeah it's it the healing would be profound and i have to think that this work when it comes out is truly going to have a major impact i hope so mimi you know, it's it's been really it's been actually it's been really hard because being in this state of consciousness um more and more of recognizing the truth is that I am not Kate Montana at all. And then, you know, um to have you call me up and say, Kate Montana, can you come on the air? And I'm like and I have to do the Kate Montana show because you know, this is how we operate. This is the dance. This is how things are communicated. It's great. It's fun. But it's also so easy to get lost in the Kate Montana show. Um, and, and I have to remind myself over and over again, um, that, that what I'm, that the, that I have to be the information I'm sharing, that I have to be the information that's been 
uh, um, shoveled through me. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's taken a lot of the pressure off consistently. But I have to keep reminding myself. Um, you know, I, it, it's so easy as a human being, no matter what we know. You know, we can read a thousand spiritual books, and this is one of the things that used to just blow my mind. I could read and probably have read a thousand spiritual books about how everything is supposed to be and what enlightenment is and God and the universe and oneness and manifestation and all this stuff. And it's like my psychology, you know, information. I just, yeah, okay, that's nice, but how do I actually apply it? Unless we can apply it, it's just kind of more words in our head. It's more ideas that I can have about myself as Kate Montana that I, as Kate Montana, can apply to this real world where I am obviously an isolated standalone unit. And it's, and it, you know, no matter how we can read, I could read about oneness and universal interconnection and nod and go, yeah, 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 and take another sip of wine and go, yeah, 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 that's how it really is. And then act as if none of it was really real because (laughs) <laughs> because the ground of my being is actually so incredibly physical. And, you know, and, and one of the things that, that just blew my mind, Mimi, was realizing just how physical we are because it's our physicality that gives us the, the, the misperception of separation. It can't help but. And I had no idea how that misperception completely blinded my spiritual pursuit. I thought I was being this really, really spiritual person, reading all these books and meditating and doing all this stuff. And I didn't realize that being a spiritual person was actually an oxymoron. (laughs) We are spirit. We're not people. But we have the perception. It blinds us over and over again. Oh, I'm a spiritual person as opposed to a material person. But we're simply consciousness having an experience. And so the more I tried, you know, the more I adopted different um, personas. Okay, so here I trot along as, a, as you know, regular ego Kate, you know, going out in the world, doing all the stuff, getting an education, getting a degree, getting a career and all that stuff. That was the regular ego, okay, the normal ego. And then I became a spiritual ego, but I didn't know it because I was becoming spiritual. Therefore, I'd finally arrived at the truth. Oh, my God, I'm really spiritual. I'm a soul on a journey through this world. Isn't that wonderful? I never, ever got. It took me 25 bloody years to finally have enough separation on what my ego and what my mind was telling me to realize that I'd smeared my ego perception across every spiritual discipline. And that it was all still about Kate Montana, human being, doing XYZ spiritual things. It had nothing to do with me being actually what I am, which is pure consciousness. Having well, an experience. I think we're going to find this very eye-opening. And I want to I thank you so. very much for limiting yourself down to a small little Kate Montana to join us today and share it with everyone. <laughs> I have to tell you, Mimi, that's no problem whatsoever. <laughs> it's All right, Kate, welcome. thank you. You're very welcome, Mimi. And now, yeah. Kate Montana, reading the introduction to the E-word, ego 
enlightenment, and other essentials. Introduction After much dithering, I finally decided to introduce this book to readers the same way I introduced it to a publishing friend in New York when he asked me about its early stages in an email. Your book on ego sounds daunting, he wrote. How are you approaching it? You love taking on big projects, don't you? To which I replied, the E-word? Oh, daunting is right, but for none of the normal reasons. It's daunting because it's so damn simple, and trying to explain simple to humans is so damn complicated. I'm coming at it from the only place I can come at it from anymore, from truth. And truth is really, really simple. I am. Truth exists. That's it. I am is not a story. It is truth. But just one word tacked onto I am turns it into a story and thus an untruth. I am just is. I am human is a story. I am Kate Montana is a story within a story. I am the human, Kate Montana, and a writer, is a story within a story within a story, a tale within a tale within a tale, obscuring truth. How did I come to truth amidst all these stories and tales? Well, that's a story in itself, but since humans are stories, and stories are what we understand best, I figured perhaps there's value in the telling of it. So, that's how I'm approaching the topic of the ego. Stories and truth balancing and hopefully explaining one another. To which my friend wrote back, Oh, Kate, I love it! Wonderful! Several exclamation points. Wonderful? Whew! Yay! Kate Montana, writer, was thrilled at the encouraging words. Writers take every scrap of reassurance they can get. But he hadn't been kidding when he used the word daunting to describe writing about the ego. How do you write about an invisible veil of perception that arrives with birth, coloring everything? An imperceptible matrix of thought concealing the glorious truth of who, what humans really are. Holy crap, how do you reveal the womb to a child gestating within? Decades of hard inner work and some 20,000 hours of meditation had bludgeoned me into a state of clear vision about the ego and how it operates. But I swore to myself I'd keep quiet about what I knew because I thought there were already enough teachers talking about spirituality and the ego. The world didn't need me wading into the fray. And then my friend Rhiannon died. I sat at the foot of her bed listening to her sister croon soothing words as she tenderly stroked her hair, the last wisps of red from her once thick mane that had survived the chemotherapy, and something inside me cracked. Death's presence doesn't suffer foolishness. The measure of Rhiannon's remaining breaths on this earth could be counted in a handful of minutes. As I sat in the darkened bedroom with her family and dearest friends, my mind flashed to the many puzzled conversations that had taken place amongst those closest to her during those final weeks. Rhiannon was dying of brain and bone cancer at age 53. What had brought her, of all people, to this end? She was beautiful, successful, and brilliantly talented. 
She had many friends and a loving partner. On the spiritual path for decades, she seemed to have absolutely everything going for her on every level. But she couldn't see it. She put on a good face, but underneath she was profoundly unhappy, deeply, deeply stressed and often angry. And people wondered, friends wondered, why was she this way? Why had she felt so unfulfilled, so lost? What had tormented her so? I listened over and over to the same questions voiced in hushed tones over tea and coffee and wine in Rhiannon's living room as she lay semi-conscious in her bedroom down the hall, all the while knowing I actually knew the answer. And so, as my friend drew her last shallow breath that cold March night, even as tears of sorrow and relief began to flow, I resolved to be silent no longer. <laughs> 